Welcome to the Get Emergent Podcast. On our Driving Leadership episode, you'll witness conversations with leaders from all walks of life and learn about what drives them to lead. You'll hear about leadership development, current challenges that face them and their organizations, and stories about leadership. I'm Bill Berthel, and my desire to demystify leadership and have real conversation with leaders is what drives me. Joining me today is Danique Massingill. Danique, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Oh, same here, same here. Danique, you're the president and co-founder of Leashes of Valor, and this is a part two episode. I had the uh, pleasure and honor of talking with your partner and husband, Matt, previously, and uh, really enjoyed that time. Really looking forward to our conversation today. I really love to listen to leaders talk about what motivates them and drives them. That's the title of this segment, Driving Leadership. I really want to know about, and our listeners love to hear, people's paths into leadership. And I frame it this way, Danique, what's your big why? Why do you lead? Gosh, um, I didn't seek out to lead. Um, If anything, I had rather really poor examples of leadership over time. Mm -hmm. So that was borderline an aversion to it. But through my position, it literally stumbled into this. I am responsible for, for people that rely on a paycheck that are that have bought into this brand and this company culture. And I mean, obviously, more importantly, I'm responsible to an end user, a service dog user. So through that, it was just stumbling into this realization that I am leading. So sink or swim, this is happening. Yeah, yeah and you saw the experience of some not stellar examples and you wanted to do better than that. Yes, that definitely became a driving force on how to grow in in that position I find myself in to ensure to not repeat errors or decisions that I saw and disagreed with. And yeah, just really opposite direction of what I saw. Yeah. What do you think drove you in that direction, right? Some people get um, a little, uh, you know, disenfranchised, or uh, even you mentioned, you know, maybe there was some hesitation in that space. What made you lean in? I think the the end responsibility for the company, the brand, and the people really obviously makes me want to be better for them, be better in my role. So there's a lot of responsibility there. Yeah, sure, sure. And you have some wonderful experience. Uh, you're a Navy veteran. Let me say thank you for your service. Pleasure. Thank you. Uh, graduate of Syracuse University. Uh, go Orange. We've got largely a, you know, a Syracuse listening base here. We're Syracuse based. You're in Virginia now. Is that right? Yes. Tell us a little bit about the wonderful work you do in your business. It's such a wonderful service. Illustrate that for us, please. So really, in a short nutshell, we provide custom trained uh, service docs to wounded and disabled veterans who have a diagnosis of PTSD or other mental health conditions. And that's really just the short, short answer of, you know, mental health outreach, education, HR, policy, working with the VA, research. So that's all the behind the scenes. And you are an industry expert in this space. You've influenced some significant policy and and laws around guide dogs and therapy dogs for veterans. I need you to brag a little bit here because I know a little bit about what you've done. Our listeners would be interested, please. I'll give credit to Syracuse University that really allowed me to study what I wanted, which made me an expert very quickly. Cool. 
Yes, we got to meet with Department of Transportation and Air America, so all of the different airlines and help them change their entire policy for service animals flying. So when that new policy came out in December 2020, I think, or January 2021, that was in large part thanks to us. Wow. Not everybody was necessarily happy with it, but it was a big win for actual service dog users and also just for protecting employees who are working for the airlines. That was one of the big ones. So these new policies and guidelines or laws made the the facilitation of use of these service animals on flights for veterans. They have removed emotional support animals from flying, but have allowed mental health service animals to fly. And the differentiation really is just training. So it had a large part to do with mediation and conflict resolution, which I studied at Syracuse. Okay. Okay. That's probably training of the animal and the people. I mentioned there's a lot of education for people to understand the importance and the interaction. I mean, I'm totally ignorant to this. So explain a little bit of that work. It's intriguing. Specify your question on which work. Um, In training. What does that mean for training? So for training of a service animal, it's really training them in public on how to behave because you're taking that tool into all kinds of different situations. So we call it train as you fight. So our foster system and our trainers take them to stores, sporting events, schools, anything where you would go in real life. So when the person utilizing that service animal doesn't have any hindrances in their lifestyle. So it's really supposed to be a support system, not a hindrance. So when you assign a service animal to somebody, you have to find out if they have children Are they married? Do you have a sedentary lifestyle? Are you active? What type of job do you have? All these different things to assign the right tool for the right person. And then thus knowing the dog and having them train properly for that person's lifestyle, then we custom train in the end for the dog to alert and interrupt nightmares. They're specifically task trained to the person's what we call self-soothing behavior. Okay. Early signs of anxiety and panic attacks usually do a self-soothing mannerism like children that suck their thumb. For Mm -hmm. adults, it's a little more basic where people play with a a wedding band or twirl their hair, foot tapping. There's small mannerisms that people do when their anxiety starts building. The dog is taught to interrupt that person's specific mannerism, which then allows them to interrupt a panic attack before it goes to a level that needs to be medicated. So in the long run, it it helps with quality of life tremendously. So the dog learns those early signals and then intervenes. And does a physical task to intervene, draw attention and help the person out of the situation to recalibrate. Wow, that is awesome. That is awesome. Matt certainly spoke a little bit to that, but I I just uh, wanted the opportunity for more awareness in this space. It's such important work. Let let me shift gears with you a little bit. I, I would love our listeners to learn about your leadership path. Although it wasn't, um, you know, one that you were set out to be a leader, take us along a little bit of the journey. Um, I think I had, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of poor leadership experiences um, throughout my military service, but also afterwards. So even working in the service dog space and the mental health space, I've definitely seen very poor decision making and leadership choices that have huge consequences, also financial. So from company Mm -hmm. culture to um, retention, to growth of company or not seeing, you know, the proverbial iceberg because nobody is stopping the ship from going that way. Right. So 
I think learning from that and then constantly finding myself either wanting to leave jobs because of those situations mm. and then finding myself starting my own organization and thus being in that role over the years being in that role you do a lot of reflecting back on scenarios when you find yourself in similar situations and have sure. to basically choose either the same path or a different path depending on position you know now I'm also in in the role they were in so I also do have more more cards that I've seen to know maybe also why they had to make certain decisions or you know they were shitty but they had to be made absolutely share a unique story about your experience so I actually have two. I kind of gave yeah. you a preview of one. One was I was middle management and we had very strong standing policies on certain student conduct. This was at another service dog organization. And two students absolutely violated that. And the recommendation was to discharge those students. Um, mm. Moral of the story is the president was given the recommendations to support the policy decision, but went completely against or was going to go against everybody's policy because one of the students that was supposed to be discharged had a large social media presence and influence. Mm -hmm. So the ability to gain something influenced the level of integrity of the organization and decision-making. And it was uh, basically choosing money over integrity and emotional intelligence yeah. was just a very profound moment for me where I really had to fight for something and go against a president of a company in a diplomatic way to ensure somebody's safety. So it was you know, how to navigate that but also how to not make those decisions now that I'm in that role. What a great opportunity to practice and learn. But when we're in that mode, right, it doesn't feel like practice, does it? No, and it, it's um, being partially in a leadership role, trying to protect one demographic, but also right. having leadership over you. You walk a very fine line on how to handle that. Yes. yes. And that was, uh, you know. I'm a big proponent for emotional intelligence and integrity now. That's awesome. And that was one of your shaping experiences. That you for shared. sure. There are other stories actually yeah. from current, from Leisha's of Valor. Our accountant, we call her our, my queen, Catherine. She's been with us the longest. And um, I had growing experience dealing with her because she asked a lot of questions. So that was very difficult for me to manage at first. And now that we had a new website built, we had web development basically complaining about why she asks so many questions. So I found myself having to mediate and from my own experience with her remembering, okay, what's her position versus his position. So never arguing from the position you're at. So just because I'm the president doesn't mean I'm right. Or it doesn't mean just because she's the accountant doesn't mean she doesn't deserve to dictate and talk to web dev as much as she wants to, because she's in charge of the flow of money. Hmm. So dictating that in the end, Coaching them through it, he actually said it makes him stronger for his company because he actually now completely understands the flow of money on the back end of a website and yeah. it helps him build websites better. So it's just standing up for your team because you actually know how they work and how to set them up for success, set us up for success. The money flows right for us. And that other company gained something in the end too. So I think that was a really beautiful ending for all of them. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, a little bit of maybe some fearless leadership in that, right? It takes some courage to stand up, even even though you know it's right in those moments, it takes a little courage to stand up. Tell us about other challenges, uh, either facing your specific leadership work or your industry. What are you standing up to now? 
we see a lot of the silo effect or lack of collaboration or collaborative communication um, mm. among different companies or organizations. So for our space, for the mental health industry, for example, mm-hmm. not talking to other providers that are like us, we're not comparing notes. So everybody working in a silo, we're not making the progress at the level we should. And becoming more collaborative is one of the things I really fight for. So finding other organizational leaders that work in my space to talk to. For example, we have a lot of veterans that come through our programs that have children with autism. Okay. 70% of veterans that have been deployed actually find themselves with children on the spectrum. That's a growing issue that we all as service dog providers, because we work with mental health, need to know from a dog training aspect, because you're putting a dog in an environment that has two people that have mental health issues, but also it's a completely different environment and scenario to put an animal in. We wouldn't find this out if we're not communicating. And then how does that affect policy, resources? Is there funding going to this? Is there an organization that helps cover certain costs for this? So it's just a... A collaborative approach versus starving at the feast is what we say, Mm. meaning all these organizations are saying we're doing great things, we're all fundraising, but veterans are still falling through the cracks, for example, because nobody's talking to each other to fill that hole. Wow. So your connection to that specific community or at the very ground level, one family provides information that you feel you could share across a community, but they're silos. So what are you doing to break down those silos? What do you do to connect? Uh, You try and do a lot of networking, cross-community pollination. So, for example, there's other canine training methodologies. For example, special operations trains dogs a certain way. But realistically, there's actually a lot of overlap in environmental training, meaning these dogs have to be able to go into any kind of environment. So even talking to other training industries, talking to other mental health industries, talking to different policymakers, insurance companies, research institutes. So really just trying to talk to everybody and beat down doors if we start seeing a fire burning somewhere. Yeah, yeah, so it's um, some just good old fashioned communication, good old fashioned reaching out, connecting and having dialogue is what I'm hearing. And consuming a lot of information. So reading varying articles, having your Google alerts set to anything that has to do with your industry in any level and scanning through all of those different articles, what's coming out in policy, what law has been passed in some state about a service dog case, you know, because that goes to the national level. It's actually a federal issue. Got to know a little bit about everything to kind of find the fire to then tell people about the fire. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. You know, we have a saying at Emergent that leaders are readers, right? Yeah. It's, it's, you're, you're constantly educating and informing yourself. And that reading, the content can come in so many ways, traditional books, although it's not reading, listening to podcasts, watching TED Talks, or you're leveraging technology to be uh, scanning for new policies, articles, information that um, affects your industry. Yeah, very cool. So there's a little cookie cutter. There's a signature piece for me in this that um, uh, I would absolutely regret not asking every single guest leader that I have on this uh, segment, Danique, your advice. Our listeners want your advice. What three pieces of advice in leadership would you have for our listeners? I think one is encourage deliberate disobedience, I think is what we call it. Yes. Yeah. Tell me more about that. So it's actually from the dog training world. So kind of very fitting. It's really used in seeing eye dogs. A dog is absolutely trained to always stay in a heel position at your side 
but they are also life and death responsible for guiding someone who has no vision toward mm. or through an obstacle. So they need to go against their training of going that way if they see danger. Wow. Deliberate disobedience. So I want people on my team, even though I say, basically get the letter to Garcia, you know, I said like, this is what I need done. Mm -hmm. I need the deliberate disobedience to say, hey, did you know that we might find an issue here or a policy here that says otherwise? I need somebody else to see the iceberg if I don't see it. Awesome. Deliberate so disobedience. Yeah, yeah, pushback, pushback. Um, what else? I think you started with your best one, by the way. <laughs> I think I talk about position as everything and nothing. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah. sometimes the best thing I can do for my team is go outside and pick up dog shit. Yes. So I really think that that means for us in my industry also being approachable just because I'm the president of the company. That doesn't mean people in my industry shouldn't feel comfortable reaching out for help. Like we talk about vulnerability and mental health and we provide a tool for people. So being approachable, I'm usually the person you see at our events finding the janitor, where's the trash can? Do we need to set up a trash can? Fidgeting, but that's the person that's the most approachable. If you ever look somewhere, you're always looking for the person who knows where to put the trash away. So know your position, but also your position means nothing if the best thing you can do for your team that day is just clean up the dog shit. That's such a poignant example of a leader intentionally eroding their positional authority, right? To be more, to be more uh, approachable and to not rely on just that positional authority. And in a previous conversation, you shared a little bit about failing forward. What is that? I mean, we're, we're not infallible. And like I said, I had yeah. poor leadership examples. So I'm perfectly aware that I obviously don't know everything. So I make mistakes, but I also have to get comfortable with owning them. And sometimes you have to make an apology phone call and be like, you know, the way I reacted or what you witnessed was not okay. It was not towards you. I didn't manage that right. Like you just need to, if you do something wrong, you need to own it. Hopefully you have evaluated it enough to grow from it and move forward from that. Like if it didn't kill you, you must learn something from it. There is a lesson hidden in there, find it and then move on. So I think that's the, have humility to, to own it. Danique, I really enjoyed our conversation. Wonderful advice for our listeners. Thank you so much for joining me today. Such a pleasure to be here. Such a great conversation. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I want to encourage our listeners to listen for more episodes of Driving Leadership right here on the Get Emergent podcast, where we'll continue the conversation with a new leader every month and come back for more leadership content with Cindy Massengill and Ralph Simone where they discuss real leadership challenges in a practical and relatable format.